the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. If we look to the answer as to why for so many years we achieved so much, prospered as no other people on earth, it was because here in this land we unleashed the energy and individual genius of man to a greater extent than has ever been done before. This great nation will endure as it has endured. Let me assert my firm belief that the only thing we have to fear is fear itself. Freedom and the dignity of the individual have been more available and assured here than in any other place on earth. You are about to embark upon the great crusade toward which we have striven these many months. The eyes of the world are upon you. The hopes and prayers of liberty-loving people everywhere march with you. We're not, as some would have us believe, doomed to an inevitable decline. I do not believe in a fate that will fall on us no matter what we do. I do believe in a fate that will fall on us if we do nothing. We choose to go to the moon in this decade and do the other things, not because they are easy, but because they are hard. My country cheers the Sweet land of liberty of the Arsene. As for the enemies of freedom, those who are potential adversaries, they will be reminded that peace is the highest aspiration of the American people. We will negotiate for it, sacrifice for it. We will not surrender for it now or ever. We are Americans. This is Always Right Radio on AM 1420, The Answer. Here's your host, Bob France. Yes, indeed it is. And a good morning to you, friends. It is uh, nine minutes after the hour of nine o'clock on this Tuesday, the 17th morning of the 10th month in the year of our Lord, 2023. War is still imminent in Israel. In, uh, well, in, it has already been brought to Israel, so let's let's clarify. War is already going on in Israel. It is imminent in Gaza as the ground forces continue to gather and assemble um, in Israel on the border with Gaza and... 28 different Israeli communities have been evacuated in northern Israel to protect against what is expected to be an attack uh, from Hezbollah. Hezbollah has been making a lot of noise. They are, of course, another one of the Iran proxies, along with Hamas, doing their bidding and attacking the hateful, hated Jewish state, as they see it. And Hezbollah uh, will be a very, very dangerous force and a very, very uh, worthy and uh, I shouldn't say worthy. None of this is, of course, has worth from from the side of the terrorists. But the reality is they are a severe and and uh, serious threat to the people of Israel. Hezbollah is a big, big problem, and they have basically said they will strike if um, 
if Israeli forces, IDF forces, go into Gaza, which they will. So it is all still playing out in real time before our very eyes as everyone looks to the United States and says, what are you going to do? And Joe Biden, in an interview with CBS, squints his eyes shut and just says, don't, don't, don't. Um, Did you see it, by the way? We didn't talk about it yesterday. Did you see that Sunday night on 60 Minutes? Joe Biden doing an interview with Scott Pelley who's asking about all these different things going on and asking whether or not the United States can handle two different war fronts right now that we are kind of tangentially involved in with Ukraine on one uh, in one part uh, and Israel on the other part. Um, and watching him just struggle so hard to comprehend and try to find his words, squinting his eyes as he tries to think of what he wants to say because he is just so tired. And he is. That's what CNN described it as, or not CNN, beg your pardon, uh, 60 Minutes described it as after it was all done. He looked so very tired as he's got his Secretary of State over in Israel and he's got other members of the regime over in Ukraine and he's trying to figure all of this out from where he is and he's just so 80-year-old tired. He just can't possibly be expected to lead at a time like this but this is what we have so there's a lot of things we're going to discuss today coming up in about a half an hour we're going to talk to bernie moreno bernie moreno is a senate candidate participated in a senate forum over the weekend i did not watch it as as you know i was on a break in tennessee with my daughter and family and uh so i did not see it but uh, bernie is going to come on and tell us how it went from his perspective. He squared off with uh, Matt Dolan and Frank LaRose, and uh, we're going to try to reach out to those individuals as well and see if they want to come on and talk about this Senate race as well. But we're going to talk to Bernie at 935 about it. 1010, Curse and I will break down many of the same stories we're talking about in our uh, open, open this morning, including the Hamas caucus uh, trying to negotiate a ceasefire before the find-out phase. I'll explain what that means in just a moment. Meanwhile, in Florida Sunday night, Governor Ron DeSantis did indeed greet a plane load of 270 Americans rescued from Israel in Tampa, a trip that he partnered with a veterans-led group and funded in order to bring these individuals home. Uh, Simply remarkable leadership from the governor of Florida uh, and setting, I think, the tone for how we should be uh, addressing this as a nation. We'll talk a little bit more about that. Um, professors on college campuses off of the rails. We're talking about one professor at an Ivy League university at Cornell calling the Hamas terror attack exhilarating. Said that word four times. Exhilarated was he to watch Hamas uh, murder Jews. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. Meanwhile, another Ivy League, this one's the president of the university, has refused to call Hamas terrorists until one big dollar donor, a Penn alum, threatened to pull all of his funding unless she tells the truth. Now she says, okay, they're terrorists. Kirsten, I was going to have thoughts on that, I promise you. We've already talked a little bit about that off the air, Pete and I. So that's coming up at 1010 this morning. Uh, Kurt Schlichter is focusing on the regime and its complete abandonment of our southern border, we are sitting ducks. Sitting ducks, and the regime does not care. We're going to talk a little bit about that. 
What about the suggestion and the question that Mossad, that's the Jewish spy agency like our CIA and the IDF, knew that the attack in Hamas was coming and didn't try to stop it? There are allegations or at least questions about that. Uh, Charlie Kirk is taking a lot of fire for asking those questions. We're going to talk about uh, that uh, and, and get a report from somebody who's an expert in Israeli uh, military operations uh, who wrote a piece about this. I'm going to share that with you. Tom Cotton. Going back to the border for a moment, is calling for DHS, that's Homeland Security, to deport foreign nationals who support Hamas. Anybody, whether they're from, uh, you know, Gaza or whether they're from Syria or whether they're from Egypt or whether they're from France or England, it does. If you are here uh, as a foreign national on a student visa and you have expressed support for the terrorist group that attacked our ally, you should be deported from the United States. That's Tom Cotton's position. We'll talk a little bit about that. And uh, Daniel Horowitz wrote a great piece on how our universities are turning into stu- turning students into Hamas cheerleaders as well, which is similar to what we just mentioned. So all of these things are on the table. We're going to discuss this morning. Two one six nine zero one zero nine four five triple eight two eight one eleven ten. Want you to join us. Uh, let's take our uh, break here for a pledge. Let's go ahead and get our pledge of allegiance. Then a quick time out before we come back with some of the details on this morning's top stories. Patriots, stand face your uh, face your flag, please. Put your hand on your heart and join us for this pledge. If you are one of the cheerleaders for Hamas, or if you do not believe Israel deserves to live in peace, if you do not believe they deserve to live in their ancient holy land, uh, if you think they're occupiers, if you think that they are genocide, genocidal maniacs, well, then you clearly have no idea what liberty and freedom look or sound like. Therefore, you are exempt from the request to pledge your allegiance to a flag representing that liberty and that freedom. You may instead take a knee over there next to those who support Hamas. For the rest of us, I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and to the republic for which it stands, one nation, under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. All right, uh, 916 now. Let's take a quick time out so we can come back and spend the rest of the half hour on these very important top stories. We're going to have uh, Bernie Moreno after the bottom of the hour, Peter Kirsten out top of the hour. We may talk to Jerry Serino this morning as well, Senator Jerry Serino. Um, that's possible in the 11 o'clock hour. I have also invited him to join us tomorrow with a little bit more time about what's going on on these college campuses. Uh, so that is, that'll be coming up as well one of these times. Uh, just stick with us, uh, throughout the program today and we'll let you know what we've got and when we've got it. But I promise you, you're going to want to be here. If you want to know the, know, know the, the truth about what's going on. And if you want actual analysis that is real, and if you want to avoid the trappings of the mainstream media, stay here. Not just during this show, but all day on AM 1420, The Answer. So the uh, Republican Party of Cuyahoga County has made a statement, uh, which I'm very, very glad to see, actually. Uh, And I want to share it with you. It's It's worth our attention here. Uh, Republican Party of Cuyahoga County condemns Hamas massacre and anti-Semitic protests. Over the last, uh, excuse me, over the past few days, the Republican Party of Cuyahoga County has been diligently working to address recent events in the Middle East. We spoke with members of the Jewish community, scholars, and received input from our members and Republicans across the county. After gathering information and perspectives, Party Chairman Lisa Sticken issued the following statement. Over the weekend, we were all shown by the media 
and on social media evidence of atrocities committed by Hamas against innocent Israelis, American citizens, and other foreign nationals. Much of this evidence was provided by the terrorist organization itself. The Republican Party of Cuyahoga County strongly condemns Hamas's brutal actions in its massacre on October 7. This level of brutality is shocking and inconsistent with civilized society. Over 1,400 people were murdered, at least 29 of whom were Americans. Victims including, include women, children, and the elderly. Hamas now reportedly has over 150 hostages in Gaza. By the way, I'll change that. This, uh, this number was updated yesterday to be over 200. As many as 20 of whom are believed to be Americans. Hamas acts with the sponsorship of Iran, the world's leading sponsor of terror. We urge the Biden administration to refreeze $6 billion it has been planning to release to Iran. In addition, threatening anti-Semitic, anti-American, pro-Hamas protests are taking place across the country, and importantly, on college campuses. We call upon college and university presidents to show leadership in opposing anti-Semitism and in standing up for American values and basic human decency. Finally, we fully and unconditionally support Israel's right to defend itself and to remove Hamas as a military threat to Israel and the world. We pray for the safety and release of Americans and other hostages held in Gaza uh, for peace in the region. Good statement, Lisa Sticken. Well done. Thank you for releasing that. Those are the kinds of statements that should be being made in communities all across America to show 100% unified solidarity with our ally and with the our friends in Israel and the American citizens who have been captured by Gaza. Notice, this is not a story of Israel capturing American citizens who are Saudi of Saudi Arabian descent or visiting in Gaza. This is always the same way. Always. The attacks come into Israel. Israel has to fight back, and immediately, what do those on the radical left, the anti-Semites, what do they do? They find a way to blame it on Israel. And they try to stop Israel from being able to respond in its own self-defense. One example, let's take a look at the Hamas caucus in the United States House of Representatives. What? What are you talking about, Bob? What do you mean a Hamas caucus? Here's what I'm talking about. I'm talking about a statement released yesterday by eight members of Congress who are sympathetic to and supportive of not Israel and not the innocent civilians who were murdered and raped and kidnapped and tortured, no, but support Hamas, the terrorists who did those things, including Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, uh, um, Jihad Omar, Sharia Tlaib, Ayanna Presley, Jamal Bowman, Corey Bush. These individuals wrote uh, Andre Carson, by the way. Uh, who else? Uh, Summer Lee. These are all individuals who introduced a ceasefire now resolution in Congress to call for an immediate de-escalation and ceasefire in Israel and Palestine, they write. By the way, there is no recognized Palestine. That is in their dreams. It is. It, it doesn't exist. There once was a land called Palestine or Palestina. There is no recognized Palestine. This, of course, is the source of all of the uh, the uh, the violence because they want Israel to be Palestine. It's not. It is Israel. They introduced a resolution, essentially calling for um, a halt to the find out phase. You know the the famous internet phrasing of FAFO, which stands for. F around, find out. 
Yeah, well, Hamas did the first phase. They effed around. And now that Israel wants to bring the find out, they want to stop it. So their resolution reads, quote, Calling for immediate de-escalation, uh, de-escalation and ceasefire in Israel and occupied Palestine. Whereas all human life is precious and the targeting of civilians, no matter their faith or ethnicity, is a violation of international human law. Humanitarian law, beg your pardon. Whereas between October 7 and October 16, armed violence has claimed the lives of over 2,700 Palestinians and over 1,400 Israelis, including Americans, and wounded thousands more. I'll pause here, too, to point out that 2,700 Palestinian figure is completely made up, number one. And number two, if there are 2,700 Palestinians in Gaza who have been killed by Israeli shells, it's because that's exactly what Hamas wanted to do. Because they can then claim, look, the response by Israel is not proportionate. They are killing Palestinians. No, they're not. They're trying to take out target military sites from which over 3,000 rockets were launched on October 7th. They're, that's what they're trying to take out. Meanwhile, the Palesti- excuse me, Palestinian civilians who are being killed have been placed there by Hamas. The resolution continues, whereas hundreds of thousands of lives are at imminent risk if a ceasefire is not achieved and humanitarian aid is not delivered without delay, and whereas the federal government holds immense diplomatic power to save Israeli and Palestinian lives, now therefore be it resolved that the House of Representatives, one, urges the Biden administration to immediately call for and facilitate de-escalation and a ceasefire to urgently end the current violence, and two, calls upon the Biden administration to promptly send and facilitate the entry of humanitarian assistance to Gaza. The entire resolution focuses on protecting Palestinians and Hamas members in Gaza from the find-out phase. The entire resolution is concerned about humanitarian assistance to Gaza. Not one single solitary word from the Hamas caucus headed up by Sharia Tlaib and uh, Jihad Omar, not one word of concern for the actual victims of the attack that started all of this, the October 7th assault on Israel, and the kidnapping and the killing of Israeli civilians and families, not one single word. Meanwhile, Israel moves to defend itself and make sure that those who did it cannot do it again, and they're saying, no, 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 let's have a ceasefire now because a lot of lives are at stake. What about the lives that have already been taken? That lets you know everything you need to know about these people. All right. As I mentioned in the open, I've got a thousand topics, uh, uh, many of them related to this, many of them related to today's vote for the Speaker of the House of Representatives. Does Jim Jordan have the numbers? We don't know. We're going to talk about that uh, with Kirsten out later as well. But we'll take a time out for the bottom of the hour break, and then we're going to come back with Bernie Moreno, talk about leadership in the United States Senate as well. He is one of three Republicans trying to move Sherrod Brown out of D.C. for the first time in 20-plus years. We'll talk to uh, Bernie Marino next. Bloomberg Radio. Waking up America from its woke slumber. Always right radio with Bob France on The Answer. All right, 934 now. Thanks for being with us on AM 1420. The answer will work our way back to uh, the yeah, we'll work our way back to the situation with uh, 
the ground forces again continuing to gather on the Gaza border in Israel, waiting for the uh, signal to start the invasion, and then uh, the follow-up from Hezbollah coming from uh, uh, in northern uh, Israel from uh, the south of Lebanon. Hezbollah is going to attack as soon as it is believed Israel moves ground forces into Hamas. So it is a very, very dangerous situation. Hamas, by the way, breaking news story here, will free the hostages, they say, when circumstances allow. Those circumstances are not detailed in any way, but I do have a breaking news story that just crossed the screen. Hamas will free the hostages when circumstances allow. Of course, uh, one can assume that those circumstances will involve Israel not invading Gaza. Uh, it will probably allow, or probably they will probably uh, center on some sort of an agreed ceasefire, agreed upon ceasefire, um, and Lord only knows what else. Uh, the one thing that we can say, particularly because Iran is backing both Hamas and Hezbollah in this issue, is that we have no credibility whatsoever, none whatsoever with the Iranians, none, because every time they do something, we cave in and give them what they want. Gave them $1.7 billion when Barack Obama was president, pallets of cash and a cargo jet flown in the dead of night to Tehran, uh, and then $6 billion unfrozen uh, for the Iranians to use in whatever way they want. And again, don't tell me that it has to be used for humanitarian purposes or any of that nonsense. We know about what it means for money to be fungible, and indeed it is. So we have given them no reason whatsoever to take us seriously uh, and uh, to think that uh, uh, you know there are things that we can do and that Israel can do to defend itself uh, without uh, without uh, caving in. They've got 29, uh, excuse me, they killed 29 Americans. They have an unknown number of American hostages among the 200 plus that they have taken, and they know we will pay for them. They know that we will cave in for them because it's what we have established as American policy under this regime. Not historically, but under this regime. All right, let's pivot away from that for a few minutes, and let's talk about what's going on in the United States Senate. We can talk about the mess that is the United States House of Representatives as well, but the Senate's a mess because Democrats control it. We need to take that uh, a majority back. One way to do it is to boot Bernie, or excuse me, boot Sherrod Brown from his seat there. Bernie Moreno is one of three Republicans in the primary fight in the, uh, for the uh, Senate nomination uh, who wants to do just that, and he joins us now. Now on AM 1420, The Answer. Bernie, good morning. Good morning, Bob. It's uh, never uh, a, a good day when Biden's running uh, running things in D.C. I mean, what a total and abject disaster. Worst yeah. president in American history. Did you see him on 60 Minutes? Uh, you mean the disclaimer before you watch 60 well, Minutes? All, all of it, yeah. Tired. The, the right. disclaimer yeah. first and then the, and the interview, which explains why they did the disclaimer to say, just so you know, he's going to look terrible here and sound terrible here. But it's because he's really, really tired. It's it's an unprecedented week that he's dealt. Yeah, I saw that part too. But, I mean, how how weak does that project the United States in the eyes of the rest of the world if that's our commander-in-chief and our leader? It's why the world's on fire. Yeah, it literally is. There's, there's, there's no, there's no two ways about it. Uh, we are in, in the situation we are because the United States looks extraordinarily weak because of our leader, and quite frankly, because of some of our policies that he's responsible for as well. But uh, 
Anyway, so we need to uh, we need to regain some sort of control. There's a mess in the House, and uh, there's a, a battle for control of the Senate that's coming up, obviously. Bernie, you had a debate. I was out of town all weekend in Tennessee, so I did not see it nor hear it, but I know there was a debate that you and Frank LaRose and uh, Matt Dolan uh, all attended and squared off in, and so I'm looking for a little bit of a recap uh, and, and let me know where things stand now following that first onstage uh, showdown with your opponents. Well, I think it's important uh, that, that we had that d- debate because what we're starting to see, where I'm hoping voters are starting to see, is there's a clear contrast between between an outsider, a business person, somebody who's created businesses and understands what accountability looks like, knows how to knows how to get things done, not just talk, versus two guys that are career politicians. They're basically the same thing. Neither one of them has really had a, a real job in the private sector. Uh, and they uh, they were clear on issues that I care about. So there's a contrast. So number one, both of them are against term limits. They they believe that if you go to D.C. for the rest of your life, I'm adamantly uh, in favor of term limits. I believe that that's part of our problem is that people go there for life. So that was contrast number one. Do you have before the, you go on before you go on to two? Do you have numbers in mind when you say term limits? Like how many terms? In, in my case, I've committed if I have the honor of being elected to serve two terms. Uh, Bob, my wife, makes it clear that the third term will be with my second wife. So this, for me, is two terms. <laughs> and, and just just for the sake of it, um, what about on the other side, where, of course, they run every two years? How many terms would be appropriate on the House side? I, I think three terms is appropriate in the House side. Three terms in the House, two terms in the Senate with an 18-year cap. So after okay. 18 years in D.C., you're out. Uh, there's There's no return. So I think that's an appropriate view. Okay. I certainly don't think that our founders had in mind people like Joe Biden and Chuck Schumer and Nancy Pelosi, Diane Feinstein, who literally dies in office. Uh, that's insane. Uh, we need fresh thinking, fresh perspectives in D.C. And as you know, being an incumbent, it's almost impossible to compete. Very true. Very true. Once you get entrenched in that position, it's very, very hard to lose. You're right about that. That's why we have so many, particularly on the Senate side, who do that. Okay, so that was number one, is your opponents are opposed to term limits. You favor them. What was the second big difference you were getting to? I've got to be honest, the biggest shocker uh, of the night, because I, I know that Republicans, have. there's a lot of Republicans that are for amnesty. I just never suspected both of these particular opponents, especially asking to represent Ohio, to be so weighing in in favor of amnesty. Dolan's all in for amnesty. I mean, he absolutely believes that we should grant amnesty to the tens of millions of people who broke our laws and have been staying in this country illegally. Uh, Frank LaRose uh, said that we need 20 million consumers. We can't take 20 million consumers out of the market. Uh, The United States is not a marketplace. It's not an employment agency. Uh, the United States is a sovereign nation with laws, with a culture, with a language that is being attacked. And for those guys to uh, put their thumb on the scale and say we're all in for amnesty was the biggest shocker of the night for me. The way they were so blatant about uh, being pro amnesty was it blew my mind. Yeah, that blows my mind to even hear. Um, obviously, I've talked to Frank LaRose a couple of times about uh, election issues or, or uh, uh, you know, Senate Senate things that uh, that he would be, you know, they were, they were important to him on his platform. Let's phrase it that way. I have not talked about amnesty with him, and I'm looking forward to talking to Matt Dolan as well. Um, so, Bernie, how do you think your message is being received right now? You're pointing out some stark differences between yourself and them. Conservatives would tend to say, well, I, I'm with Bernie, at least in terms of uh, the amnesty issue and maybe even the term limits issue. But uh, how do you feel the race is going, given some of the numbers um, uh, 
you know, in fact, just yesterday, Frank LaRose's name came across um, uh, a search result for me as I was prepping for today's program, and the Washington Examiner ran the ran the uh, a story on the on the latest poll that shows that he has raised more than one million dollars since launching his Senate bid, um, and that uh, he is leading both you and Matt Dolan by roughly ten points uh, in this race right now. He is uh, very proud of the fact that most of his money that he has is being raised by small donors rather than self-funders, uh, which is how he refers to you and Matt Dolan. So you're making differences between you and them on a debate stage. How do you feel it's being received by the voters? Well, it's being received very well. So here, to give you some numbers that are important. Uh, number one, I've raised $3.5 million. Uh, Dolan's raised one point seven, and uh, Matt raised just about, I'm sorry, Frank raised just about 750000 so 750, 1.7, 3.5. That does not include money that I put in, money that Frank put in, or money that Matt put in. Okay, when you factor that in, then that's how you, that's how Frank gets to a million. He put in 250. Dolan's put in seven million, and I put in three. So, but you take that out, it's 3.5, 1.7, 750. So that's number one. That's data point one. Data point number two is I have over 3,600 contributors in Ohio. Matt has about 400, and Frank has 200. So you can see the difference between uh, what is being received throughout Ohio. The the reality is, Bob, what you're seeing in those polls is strictly name ID. Uh, we have done almost no paid media. Once we do paid media and show the contrast between an outsider business person, somebody who's anti-amnesty, somebody who's not a career politician or aspires to be a career politician, showing the endorsements from J.D. Vance and many others, uh, we will uh, be clearly the front runner in the poll, but I'm not going to waste money today when the election doesn't happen until March. Because if you're going to be a fiscal conservative, you should be a fiscal conservative in the way you want run your race, not just when, uh, uh, when you get into office. So we'll spend money at the right time, and when we do, uh, we will see a huge uh, jump in the polls. The polls are basically just name ID right now. And for Frank, who's been on a statewide ballot four times, to only be in the mid-20s is really bad. Uh, you remember Josh Mandel last time, who was a strong front runner, started at 48% in a six-way race. Uh, J.D. started at 3%. So, again, uh, the polls don't mean a lot That's right a now. What point. means a lot is the fundraising. That's a great, great point. If you look at how the last Senate race ran uh, to replace Portman, that's exactly right. J.D. Vance came from the bottom all the way to win the thing. Of course, it helped for him to get an endorsement from President Trump toward the end as well. That was clearly a boost, but uh, uh, but you're right in terms of the numbers. And uh, by the way, I should also point out, I don't know the methodology of the poll that was cited here in the Washington Examiner story, uh, Bernie Moreno, Senate candidate, uh, but it does say that it was an internal poll. It says internal polling conducted by the LaRose campaign shows uh, 32% for him, 22% for Dolan, uh, 10%. For you, so actually, he's suggesting it's a twenty-two percent lead that he has, or twenty percent lead plus that he has over you. But it is a LaRose internal poll. So again, don't know what the methodology is, uh, but uh, clearly there may be some pushing going on there in terms of what they were trying to get. So let's 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 stipulate, Bernie, that it is name recognition. He's been in four statewide elections. He is uh, he's won them. He is very very well known in pretty much all corners of the state. You're not. 
How do you fix that? That's a very tough thing to overcome in just a few short months of campaigning to get your name and your message in as many ears and eyes and so forth as Frank LaRose has. Well, we fix it by doing what I'm doing. So for the last six months, Bob, I've driven 2,000 miles a week to every corner of the state. We have contributors, people who've seen me, heard my message, and written my campaign a check in all 88 counties. We have 350 grassroots endorsements from every corner of the state, more than Matt, more than Frank. So when people hear my message, it's resonating. We've got uh, support throughout the entire state. Like I said, all 88 counties. I think Frank's numbers, when we dissect them, will be about somewhere around 15 or so counties. He's got contributors. Dolan, pretty much most of his contributions are coming from Franklin and Cuyahoga. Almost no support anywhere else in the state in terms of financial support. So I think we're doing exactly what we're doing. Uh, it's working really well. We've got county captains in every in every uh, uh, county in Ohio. So we're we're going to get the message out there. We're, we're going to work hard. As you know, Bob, I don't have any operating businesses. This is what I do every single day of the week from morning until evening. So this is my total and complete assignment. It allows me to have that freedom. My kids are grown, so I don't have to worry about that. This is what I do all day, every day. You, uh, we're talking to Bernie Moreno, Senate candidate. You uh, drew some distinction between yourself and uh, and Dolan and, and LaRose on the uh, on the amnesty issue, but um, I, I would imagine again, I was out of town, so I didn't see your debate. The issue of Ukraine funding, Israel funding, or support came up, obviously, because it just happened on October seventh, the, uh, uh, the the horrific invasion and uh, the assault on on Israeli men, women, and children. Can you tell me, if you make it to the United States Senate, Bernie, what will be your policy vis-a-vis Israel and the Middle East, and what will be your policy regarding uh, the funding of the Ukrainian war effort against Russia? We, ha- we uh, do not need to be sending Ukraine any more money. Uh, we need to end that war. We need to get to a peaceful settlement. That should never have happened. Uh, Putin is obviously the aggressor, uh, but weakness with Biden, weakness with Obama, the withdrawal from Afghanistan, the North Stream 2 pipeline sanctions being lifted all led to that invasion. Uh, we got to get to a peaceful resolution in Ukraine, and that money is not being accounted for. It's paying for the salaries of government workers, oligarchs, who knows what else. Uh, that money is going into a bottomless pit. No more funding for Ukraine. Get peace. That's my position on Ukraine. Israel's our strongest ally. Uh, we have to have Israel's back. Israel is well-funded through 2028. If they need more money, certainly we'll, we'll look at requests. They haven't made those requests yet. What they've asked for is for us to give them the space and room so that they execute the, uh, the counteroffensive that they need to execute. We shouldn't be telling Israel how to do that. Uh, you have Biden calling on, on this equivalency, comparing uh, uh, the, the death of uh, civilians in Gaza with comparing that to civilians uh, that were murdered by Hamas in Israel, there is no equivalency. Israel was attacked savagely by brutal, brutal human beings, and we need to give them the space to execute the war the way they need to execute it. As you know, as Israel was being attacked, lunatics on the left were calling for a ceasefire. Sherrod Brown uh, says he's pro-Israel, but has, does not denounce the people with his, within his own party who have the Palestinian flag up in the U.S. Capitol who empower this anti-Israel sentiment throughout our uh, big cities, who allow our universities to indoctrinate our kids into anti-Israel behavior that does nothing about standing up against the anti-Semitism that's growing and festering throughout America. We have to make it loud and clear that all of that is unacceptable. 
Israel's our biggest ally in the Middle East, and we're going to have their back no matter what. We've got hostages, some 200 of them, um, that we know of right now that, that, uh, that uh, Hamas has taken and, and, and taken into Gaza. Um, they said this morning that they would release the hostages when the circumstances warranted that they could. Um, they're not going to do so if there is a ground invasion. They're not going to do so if there is a lot of collateral damage from an Israeli invasion, which there will be, which Hamas, of course, wants. Uh, there's, there's no question about it. Israel is warning Gaza residents to evacuate and get out and go into Egypt if they can because they are coming to root out all of, of Hamas. Hamas is telling those those residents, no, stay there, stay there. And that's because they want a high collateral damage body count so that they can continue the propaganda campaign against Israel, blaming them for it. But my point here is to ask you if you were, you know, had a say in this or if you had to uh, cast a vote on something like this in the United States Senate, Bernie, um, what would you say to American families, or how would you how would you recommend that we handle this? That American families whose hostages are being held uh, and potentially you know going to be executed, they threaten to execute many of them on on live internet stream for the world to see. If American families uh, know that their host- their their loved ones are being held hostage in such a way, would you still encourage Israel to do what they have to do in terms of an invasion? Israel has a lot of their own citizens being held hostage. They've had their own citizens be killed. Uh, they know what needs to be done and how to do it. We're in this situation, Bob, I think you mentioned at the top of the show, because we paid a billion dollars per hostage to Iran. We negotiated with hostages. Once you open that door, you've opened Pandora's box. And that's what's happening, is that Biden has made it clear to these savages that we will negotiate with them. Israel has incredible military capabilities, when they ask us for help, we have to provide it, whatever it takes to get our hostages back. But at the same time, we cannot be in a position where we're negotiating with uh, with people who use babies as shields, uh, as that use hospitals to hide their operations, that remove uh, pipes from the ground that feed water to, to families to use as weaponry against Israel. Uh, these are not normal people. These are people who are savage, savage human beings. And we have to give Israel the space they need to execute the war the way they uh, believe that needs to be done. They are prepared for this. If they ask us for help, we have to be there to provide it. But they are the ones that have to lead here. They understand the territory. They understand what's at stake. And we cannot, uh, uh, we have to be prepared, as you know, Bob, for the amazing uh, propaganda that's going to come out of uh, the other side. It's going to be out there. And we have to stand strong. We've been in an appeasement mode for 70-plus years with Israel. Israel's got to destroy Hamas. You would not allow a serial killer to live next door to you who wakes up every day trying to figure out how to kill your children. You would not put up with that. Israel cannot put up with that. And they've got to wipe out Hamas. Yeah. I agree with every word you just said, except for when you called Hamas human beings. Uh, I don't believe they, them to be human. Last question for you, Bernie, on foreign policy and for our conversation today. Um, I know you agree that we should refreeze the $6 billion. I know you oppose the uh, unfreezing of that $6 billion for Iran in the first place because it was going to lead to things just like this. Uh, but outside of refreezing the $6 billion to cut off those funds from the world's leading state sponsor of terror, 
how else would you, or would you, if you were in the Senate, would you be making an argument to hold Iran accountable, and in what ways? Well, if, if Iran takes any actions uh, that uh, that we can prove came from Iran, uh, then we need to immediately uh, take uh, strong and decisive action. The reason that Iran was in a box when President Trump was in office is because he knew he would not play around, uh, that he would take whatever actions needed to be done. Uh, but at this point, uh, Iran is not escalating uh, this situation. Uh, we have to watch and make certain that they know that whatever they do, if they get engaged, whether it's more funding of Hezbollah, uh, doing anything with Hamas, attacking Israel in any way, will be met with a very, very swift and harsh response from the United States. They need to understand that that's true. What I worry about, Bob, is that they see Biden, they see the same guy that you and I saw in 60 Minutes, and say, this is not a serious man. This is a person who's so fundamentally weak and it equivocates at every turn that I worry about where we are today until we get the levers of power we get Biden out of there in January 2025. It's going to be a very, very rough 14 or 15 months because at the end of the day, the only thing we can hope for is the removal of Biden and Harris from office and somebody else in there who's actually going to fight and defend America and protect the world. But that's not the people that we have in the White House today. Bernie Moreno, that's a lot of ground that we covered this morning. I appreciate that very much. Uh, congratulations on uh, what you feel like was a successful debate performance and uh, and a great number of donors as well. Tell people how they can support you if they wish. So they can go on BernieMoreno.com, M-O-R-E-N-O.com. Bob, as I said, we have 3,600 people in Ohio. We'd love to have your listeners help. $5 makes a difference. $20 makes a difference. We're going to win this thing and get our country back. Amen. Thank you, Bernie Moreno. Appreciate you. Thank you. That's that's Bernie Moreno, a Senate candidate. It's 9.55. We're going to take a time out here. Top of the hour news is coming. Kersenow's analysis of everything we are seeing both in the Middle East and on college campuses around the United States. In response to that, Kersenow joins us coming up on Always Right Radio. You and I have a rendezvous with destiny. We'll preserve for our children this, the last best hope of man on earth, or we'll sentence them to take the last step into a thousand years of darkness. Darkness. This is Always Right Radio on AM 1420. The answer is your host, Bob France. All right, seven minutes after 10 o'clock, and hour number two is underway. Thanks for being with us on this 17th morning of the 10th month in the year of our Lord, 2023. Thanks to Bernie Moreno. Great conversation with him about a number of uh, mostly foreign policy issues today as he uh, continues his Senate primary campaign against uh, Matt Dolan and frontrunner Frank LaRose. It's now my honor to welcome to our program our good friend and our regular Tuesday commentator. He is uh, a Cleveland attorney. He's a member of the United States Commission on Civil Rights. He is an author, a columnist, and the host of the Kersenau Report, among many other titles. Peter Kersenau, good morning. Great to have you back. How are you, my friend? Doing pretty well. You know, I'm sorry you're not really watching football anymore because the rounds really surprised the heck out of me. I'll just say that. Yeah. Uh, I fully expected in the last five seconds that, uh, as usual, San Francisco is going to hit the field goals only 41 yards, and they missed it, and the Browns won with a third-string quarterback and a third-string running back. 
Uh, I peek from time to time, uh, just because of my you know lifelong love affair with the game of football. But my uh, my my despising of the league itself, of the NFL and its wokeness, is just uh, keeping me away from a from being a full time uh, a fan again. Um, okay, Pete. Uh, there's no easy way to 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 get into this, so we're just going to get into this. Um, you know, the world is captivated by what is going on right now. Um, Israeli troops are amassing along the border, they say. Um, invasion is imminent, but uh, at the same time, there is great concern that if they do indeed invade Gaza, uh, that Iran and Hezbollah are going to make good on their promise for Hezbollah to, to cause what um, Iranian leaders called a great earthquake. Um, Hezbollah is going to start launching precision-guided missiles from southern Lebanon into Israel. And, in fact, the threat is so real that while troops are amassing along the Gaza border uh, in Israel, 28 communities are being evacuated in northern Israel for fear of, of Hezbollah's response. So clearly, Iran is pulling all of the puppet strings here. They they fund and they guide um, Hezbollah activities and obviously Hamas as well. And so Israel is caught in a very precarious position. They've already lost enough of their lives. They've had enough of their civilians attacked and murdered, raped, uh, tortured, kidnapped, and so forth. And now... They have to worry if we go in to try to stop this one group from being able to reconstitute itself and hit us again. We're going to get hit by another group on the other side. So it's a very precarious position. They're going to need some help, and they're going to need that help from the United States of America, which has moved two battleships into place into the Mediterranean Sea. So, Peter Kersenow, give me your your stra- status report. Uh, how do you analyze this where we are today? We'll get into specifics after. Yeah, uh, first a caveat, I'm ill-equipped to do this. Maybe I read more than the average bearer, but this is something that is, you know, it's historical in terms of what's transpired over the last couple thousand years, frankly, but clearly within our modern lifetimes. Um, and the strategic, strategic power plays that uh, are in effect right now. But the bottom line here is there are good guys and bad guys. Usually it's difficult to say that. Uh, sometimes there's gray areas, but in this case, there are good guys and bad guys. There's no ifs, ands, or buts about it. And you have to ask yourself, which side do we stand on, with the good guys or the bad guys? The bad guys generally can be discerned by whether or not they chop off heads of babies and rape women and shoot people who are unarmed and cheer and laugh about it. That's generally a, a pretty good indication that they're bad guys. It's also a pretty good indication when you've got... Um, those bad guys financed by the chief state sponsor of terrorism, Iran, which every week, at bare minimum, chants death to America. So it's pretty clear uh, where the lines of demarcation fall. Now, that being said, and I think you know, the United States, as the ultimate good guy, regardless of what anybody says, should take, and regardless of who the administration is, frankly, we may have disagreements with who, you know, dis- uh, administrations here and there, but we're the good guys, America, regardless of Republican, Democrat, or anything else like that. But we shouldn't be standing alone, and I think more effort needs to be made to rally the uh, community of nations, United Nations, but more importantly, those who actually do things, like those in the West, uh, to put an end to all of this. This is, this is craziness, and as you wait, just Wait, 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 what does, that, what, what does that mean, put an end to all of this? That sounds like ceasefire talk. No, 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 no. Bob, you know me better than that. I uh, thought, that's the reason I interrupted. <laughs> that's, I want you to clarify that, because I know how you anything, feel, but that, that, that can come yeah, out like we need yeah, to put yeah, an yeah, end yeah, to yeah. all of this. You know, well, all of yeah, this you're violence, right about that. You're, you're that's right how the left will be, yeah. Uh, I say put an end to it by getting rid of the bad guys. And, you know, I don't, look, I am... 
I don't want to, you know, advocate for wholesale slaughter of people. I know that innocents are going to get killed and things of that nature. But at some point, you have to say, when do we stop this so it doesn't occur again? It seems to me that we are regularly taking half measures. And then when we take those half measures, maybe we've bought ourselves, quote unquote, a little bit, a respite, uh, a moment of peace. And then the other side regroups and comes back even stronger, even harder, and more people get killed. And we say things like the, the first thing, and again, I'm not blaming anybody at this point, Blinken or anybody else, but when Blinken's first instinct is to say, you know, cease fire, um, that emboldens the bad guys. That emboldens the bad guys. The bad guys should be hiding under rocks right now, and to a large extent they are, uh, but not enough, because the real bad guys are over there in Iran, hundreds of miles away, pulling the strings. And what do we do? We are lifting sanctions, oil sanctions on Iran to the tune of $60 billion. Where do you think Hamas is getting this money from? Where is Hezbollah getting this money from? There's things that America can do, and there's things that the world community can do uh, to reduce the ability to, to complete, almost completely eliminate the ability of Hezbollah and Hamas to conduct this kind of warfare. Uh, you know, you're not going to get rid of all the terrorism. That's not going to happen because you're always going to get crazies who are going to be able to, to obtain uh, weaponry. But the state sponsors are the ones that we've got the ability to take out, maybe not take out in terms of eliminating them, but take out their war-fighting capabilities and also make it so painful that they don't even think about doing this again. Because the problem we have right now is, yes, this is going to affect Israel and the Middle East generally profoundly, but it's going to affect the entire world community. And strategically, it has a serious, serious effect on the United States, especially right now when we are incredibly vulnerable for a lot of reasons, most of which have you know, unfortunately, been like the case of stupid policies by this administration. And let's be fair, other administrations have not been, and not just administrations, our government has not been uh, very smart about a lot of things, as, as you know, Trump would like to say. We have depleted, for example, our strategic oil reserve, which is precisely for reasons like this. Not do we just not deplete it, but we sent it over to our chief adversary, China. Nuts. This is craziness. Our ammunition stocks are low because Biden has done a couple of things. Number one, he's not replenishing them. And plus, we sent $100 billion over to Ukraine. Not to say we shouldn't be helping Ukraine, but my goodness, we should at least be aware of the fact that we are making ourselves vulnerable and all of our other partners very vulnerable. But apparently, no kind of exit strategy, no kind of backup strategy for something of that nature. We are uh, you know, we are stretched thin despite the fact that you know, we don't have uh, any active, ongoing um, uh, wars or confrontations right now between Amer America itself and adversaries, but we've, we have been using our armed forces for a whole host of things other than to kill people and break things. Yeah. We, are in, um, we are not in a good position to be fighting, and China's watching all of this, as I've said before. China's sitting back, they're watching okay, let, all let, of this. Let, let me stop you there. Let me stop you there, because we get into China, we're getting into too many different uh, uh, places here, and I want to focus specifically on the situation at the, at the border right now and what Israel is going to do. By the way, I mistakenly said thank you to my friend Sailor Jack, who t corrected me and said I said battleship, and I meant to say aircraft carrier. We have aircraft carriers in the Mediterranean now. Um, but Peter... 
while making clear your your view, and I agree with it, by the way, that we that they have to go in and quote end this thing by by way of ending the threat and wiping out Hamas. We do have the the matter of the hostages. There are over two hundred of them. We don't know how many of them might be American. We do know that roughly twenty nine Americans, I think, at last count, have yeah. been killed in among the fourteen hundred in Israel. But um, we don't know how many Americans are are are. Uh, hostages we do know that the rest of them are israelis uh and the threat here of course is what they have said in isis style hamas has said they will execute these hostages on live internet streams the way isis did uh if they don't get what they want and right now they want israel to not uh, you know stage this ground invasion so how would you handle this if you were advising somebody in the biden regime or in the pentagon or moreover because we're not actually doing this uh israel has to do this for themselves for the time being how would you advise them to proceed with respect to 200 hostages potentially being killed if the invasion commences yeah i think this is a matter of time by the way i'm ill-equipped to be advising anybody on this i'd like to listen to folks that are in this you know a lot of former special operators who actually do this kind of stuff in their commanders but one thing we have to keep in mind is time is both our enemy and our friend. We have to use time strategically is what I mean, and tactically. Uh, we don't want to necessarily, I think, and I'd like to hear from people who actually do this. I mean, I've talked to several of them, by the way, but nonetheless, I'm not an expert. I'd like to, you know, hear what people have to say about the timing of this and how we maximize the ability to get hostages out of there by using special operators, for example. And at the same time, cut off the financing mechanisms and the material mechanisms that the bad guys have. We can do that without question. There's no doubt about that. We can establish embar- not just you know embargoes in a broad sense, but being, being able to cut off their means of supply, also financially, and to impose devastating sanctions on anybody who, who's even remotely involved in this. And then the Israelis, unfortunately for them, they're very good at this. They've got a lot of experience, unfortunately, at doing this kind of stuff. I think we should augment the Israelis because this is not, it's, yes, it's Israel against the terrorists and the terrorist-sponsoring states. But as I've said last week, we're the great Satan. We're the ones ultimately they want to get, and they want to get Western civilization broadly known. That's who they want to get. So everybody in the West who has a moral compass should be involved in this. At some point, if we're not careful, this will become existential. By that I mean, if Iran gets a nuclear weapon, what do you think they're going to do with it? Do you think it's simply for defense? No one has threatened Iran. Israel has never threatened Iran. If Iran keeps, you know, keeps out of Israel, doesn't threaten Israel, Israel's not going to do anything. They're getting no weapon to use it. And we should do everything within our power to make sure that doesn't happen. But unfortunately, the Biden administration, and frankly, the Obama administration started this, but this is simply a proxy for the Obama administration. All the old retreads are in place. They are trying to engage in this JCPOA, the stupidest treaty. I mean, you talk to almost any historian who isn't profoundly on the left. This is an extraordinary uh, piece of paper. It is nuts, given our present context. But Iran should never be permitted to get a nuclear weapon. That's like giving the keys to a drunken baby to a semi. This is nuts. We're doing everybody. so many stupid things. Um, uh, if you have another question, about it, go ahead. But, but, I do. but we have to do that, and we have to harden 
the homeland also, so that we can do these things without fear of our own population being harmed. By hardening the homeland, unfortunately, it's the old, you know, horse out of the barn. Uh, We have gotten 7 million people who have crossed our southern border. Tens of thousands of them have come from terrorist-sponsoring states, and they are single young males. We have no idea where they are. You know, this is after the fact now, but you and I have been talking about this thing for a couple of years now, what the Biden administration has been doing. And at some point, we're going to get hit, and we should be pointing our fingers first at the bad guys who did it, and second at those who, with knowledge of forethought, permitted it to happen. Yeah. Um, okay. I'll, I'll follow up the last part then, since you went there with hardening the homeland. And I agree with it, of course. But I, I wanted to get into something else uh, prior. Uh, but let's do this part. Senator Tom Cotton has declared that his belief is that DHS Homeland Security needs this is this is in addition to hardening the border, which, of course, the Biden administration will not do. And you pointed out some of the numbers. But for those who are already here on visas, he said DHS should deport any foreign national who supports Hamas. Anyone who has done or said said anything in support of the Hamas terrorist network or organization should be deported for in the name of national security. That's part one to the question. Part two is Governor Ron DeSantis, who, of course, is in a presidential campaign and, by the way, did some amazing work in partnering with a veterans group to bring 270 Americans home from Israel. And we'll talk about that in a minute. But he says this as it pertains to accepting refugees into the United States. Oops. Hold on. I'm sorry about that, Peter. One more quick moment. We'll hear this. Clarence, the first presidential candidate, say no Gaza refugees, period. We're just not going to do it. And why? Because we don't want to import the pathologies from the Gaza Strip and other places in the Middle East to the United States of America. They are taught to hate Jews. They are taught that Israel has no right to exist. The textbooks that they use don't even have Israel on the map at all. And so this is just endemic to their culture. It's a really toxic culture that's developed. So there's no reason to be importing that into the United States. And the idea that we can kind of separate like a terrorist from some someone that may be a freedom lover, that just doesn't work. Uh, so, so we will not do that uh, when I'm president. So the left, of course, is going crazy on him, calling him racist, calling him bigoted, calling him a supporter of the genocide of the Palestinians when he won't even take Palestinian refugees into the United States or Gaza refugees. So... Uh, Cotton says get anybody who supports Hamas out of America. DeSantis says nobody who is uh, uh, raised in a culture of anti-Semitism and the hatred of Jews should be allowed to come here as refugees. And Kursenow says what to both? Well, Kursenow says that the United States has always been extraordinarily welcoming to refugees. I've got family members who were refugees. Extraordinarily. But here's the difference. And I consider what DeSantis said a no-brainer. The difference is we bring in refugees who have not been voluntarily existing in an environment where they've been saying death to America, where it is commonplace for schools, you know, madrasas and things like that to teach a hatred of America and trying to hurt America. The first responsibility of our government 
is to protect the citizens of the United States of America. And then we can talk about whether or not we can find a way of properly vetting refugees. I mean, that's a horrible place over there. If you've got innocent people, sure, you'd like refugees to come over. But but right now, there clearly has to be a pause. For how long, I don't know, but I would think indefinitely until such time as we can make sure that anybody who comes into this country, whether it's from the Middle East or elsewhere, is a friend of the United States and doesn't seek to do us harm. We know this much, that the United States has been horrible at vetting uh, ostensible refugees or those who come from lands where there's strife, um, whether it's radical Islamic strife or, or otherwise. You know, we had the example of 9-11. We are horrendous at doing this. And as harsh as it may sound, and believe me, I, 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 it, I, I hate to say no way and close the door, but my first responsibility and obligation is to protect my family, protect my fellow Americans, and that's the obligation of the United States of America. So I, I am sympathetic to what, uh, not sympathetic, I agree to what DeSantis has to say. And if you can find a way to bring in people who you know are pure refugees, are not going to be doing America harm, you know, let me know and we'll bring them in. But for right now, I think there has to be a pause. Peter Kersenow is our guest. I concur with the pause. We have a lot more to discuss, including the reaction. You know, uh, Cotton says get rid of some of the uh, pro-Hamas uh, people who are here. That might include students here on student visas. But what about the American students who are screaming in support of Hamas and pro-Palestinian causes, which, of course, means they are directly against Israel, our ally? Uh, we'll talk about that with Kersenow next on AM fourteen. Keeping you informed among the uninformed. Always Right Radio with Bob France on The Answer. Okay, 1033. We continue now with uh, Peter Kersenow on AM 1420, The Answer. Peter, of course, is our regular Tuesday commentator. By day, he is the uh, longest-serving member of the United States Commission on Civil Rights. Peter, um, you are an Ivy League graduate. Um, I want to talk a little bit about, as we continue, all of the ramifications and all of the side stories that are coming from the uh, Hamas terror attack on Israel. Um, we are seeing across this country and have since really October 8th, ah, terror, I take that back, the bodies weren't even cold yet um, in Israel on October 7th, and pro-Palestinian groups were celebrating and waving Palestinian flags in the United States. They were celebrating this, they were chanting about it. And it got, over the course of the last week and a half, uh, particularly uh, graphic on college campuses, where those who showed support for Israel were attacked, and those who showed support for Palestine were celebrated and continued to do so. It got so bad that the president of the University of Pennsylvania, I'm going to focus on the Ivies for a moment, only because of your experience with them, but the uh, president of, uh, of the University of Pennsylvania uh, has refused to call Hamas a terror organization uh, and what they did terrorism until one of the largest donors and alum of the University of Pennsylvania threatened to pull his funding. So finally, she is now referring to, to Hamas as a terror organization. It shows, obviously, they don't have any convictions other than they love money. But this one is worse, I think. A Cornell University professor was caught on camera discussing the attack on Israel and described it as exhilarating and energizing. He used the word exhilarating, I want to say, four times uh, in his comments about how exhilarated he was to see 
the the uh, Palestinian uprising, if you will, uh, and the death of all of these innocent Israeli civilians. It was exhilarating, it was exhilarating, it was energizing, he said. And if they weren't exhilarated by this challenge to the monopoly of violence, the shifting of the violence of power, then they, sh- they would not be human. I was exhilarated, end quote. He said that to a smattering of approval from students there at Cornell. So Peter Kersenow, um, how and why did our universities become cheerleaders for terrorists? Well, you know, this moral rot, this lack of moral clarity at our universities, and Cornell is my university, my daughter is an alum also, and she's also an alum of Harvard, uh, where all this crap seems to be happening this has been going on for at least 60 years. It's been deteriorating more and more. Our professoriate is, don't want to paint a broad brush. There are some great folks. I deal with a few of them. You've even had one on your radio program who's been having some problems uh, himself because he speaks the truth and his administration doesn't like it. Mm-hmm. But this is the kind of stuff that infuses not just the Ivies, although it may be more visible and prominent there, but most of our universities that have been ideologically captured by the left. And when it's ideologically captured by the left, I'm sorry to say, I'm sorry to say this, but these are the facts. It deteriorates into evil. At some point, this is what you get, and this is a manifestation of it. What I'm cheered about, but it's a, uh, it's a kind of, I, I don't know, uh, it, it, I wish I didn't have to cheer about this, is a number of alums, at my, you know, some of my former college teammates, for example, who are far wealthier than me, have said no mas when it comes to their checkbooks. We're not, we're not financing this kind of moral rot. As you saw at Harvard, a number of major donors said, uh-uh, we're not contributing anymore. And that is about the only thing that gets their attention. Will that cause them to cease and desist? No, because these people are moral cretins. And I don't mind saying that. I don't mind saying that at all. You can't have people out there, adults, ostensible adults, ostensible educators, no less, who ostensibly know their history, aside from, put aside history, let's just talk about morality. I don't know if any of these folks have ever read a passage of the Bible, but nonetheless, they countenance this stuff, they promote this stuff, they exhort these students, they think they're cool by doing so, and it, it permeates, it goes beyond um, this endeavor also. This is horrific as it is, but almost every category that you can talk about, you know, where these are the type of folks who they will shut you down immediately if you say a man is not a woman. But you can say kill Jews any single time you want to. They won't shut that down. What does that tell you? What does that tell you? This is an abomination. And if you have, uh, you know, if you've got any kind of financial wherewithal, if you've got kids going to these places, of course you want to be careful because you want your kids to get that degree, which is probably worthless in terms of a certification of whether or not they've been properly educated. But nonetheless, it's an entree to the next job. But you say no more. I'm not contributing. I'm not contributing at all. I'm not contributing at all to Cornell. Forget it. It's not happening. And I have no money. But the guys that I know, some of my good friends who are billionaires, I, I happen to belong to a group of folks who've got the real money. I'm simply the one who just makes the tr- trains run on time. I write the letters, the, the angry letters and stuff like that to the university president. You know, I've got to stay within my lane. But there are more and more groups like that who are saying, I'm not doing this anymore. And when you see these college students who are being miseducated in their actual disciplines, whatever it may be, out there doing this stuff, these are unfortunately the future leaders in business, 
in government, in medicine, in almost every endeavor. There are future leaders. And this has been going on for a while. And that's, to a large extent, why we're in the condition we're in today, as Bill Cosby, or I'm sorry, Red Fox used to say. This is um, something that needs to be fought on a regular basis. But um, I, uh, I, I mean, by regular basis, I mean I, daily. If you've got a pocketbook that has 10 cents in it, and any amount of it goes to a university like this, get a certification from the university that they're not going to be promoting terrorism. At bare minimum, you would think they could do that. Yeah. Um, let's talk about the student aspect of this uh, a little bit now, Peter. Uh, two things. One, this is a tweet from Scott Adams. We need some sort of college to deprogram the graduates from regular colleges who have rendered themselves unemployable by wokeness. I would never take a chance on hiring a Harvard or Berkeley graduate who see me as a colonizer, for example, unless I knew they had gone through a deprogramming course. It's kind of bizarre to say more school to undo the, uh, you know, the existing school, but that's, it's kind of, you know, it's kind of a, an interesting way to look at it because they are coming out as being programmed, um, almost as cult members are. And then the second part of this, Pete, if you can comment on it, there's a, bit of a feud online, and I know you're not on Twitter because you're smarter than the rest of us and you avoid the trappings of that uh, nonsense, but um, Candace Owens and Megyn Kelly are, and uh, as am I, and I'm a big fan of both of them. I like them both a lot. But there's a battle over these pro-Hamas groups on these campuses, not just in the Ivies, not just at your alma mater and Harvard and so forth, but all over the country. Um, Megyn Kelly said that these people need to be called out by name. Don't just say 31 student organizations at Harvard issued a proclamation in support of Hamas and uh, blaming Israel for the, the you know the death of 1,400 of its own citizens. Um, she, she basically said, name the students. Make sure everybody knows who they are so that potential employers know who they're getting involved with. Candace Owens came out and condemned that and saying, no, we shouldn't blacklist young students because they're too stupid to know that they've been programmed. Uh, they're, they're being taught this. They're being forced to regurgitate stuff back that uh, maybe they don't believe in to the point where it becomes ingrained in their heads and in their minds. And they do believe it, but it's not their fault. They shouldn't be held accountable with lifelong employment issues because of uh, the, the programming that was done to them while they were in college where do you come down on all of that yeah i i um i hadn't heard that uh, before i respect both candace and me because you're smart like um, i said you don't go yeah. on twitter <laughs> i um i think uh they're both very good people and very very smart um i in this case tend to come down on the side of megan because uh these folks you know we treat college kids and we have for a long time as if they're five or six year olds we have folks who are 18, 19, 20 years old who are putting their lives on the line in foreign places to protect America. Um, yet we're coddling these 18, 19, and 20 year olds saying, well, what they, they're not responsible for what they have to say. I get it. There's an argument to be made for that. Unfortunately, our educational systems and the way our society has progressed has infantilized people until they're sometimes 30 or 35 years old. But nonetheless, I don't think that should be an excuse. When you say something that profound, I want to know for a couple of reasons why these individuals are saying such things. I happen to think by the time you're 18, 19, 20, and 21, that you're mature enough to know that there, there is evil in the world and that evil is easily identifiable as something that chops the heads off babies. That is not, uh, you know, does not 
in, in instill moral confusion. That's pretty clear cut. You don't have to have a college degree to figure that kind of stuff out. You don't have to be 80 years old to figure that out. So I want to know, because it tells me two things. Whether, what, I don't necessarily think these folks are evil, but it, they could be. But one thing it does tell me is that they are have very, very, very poor judgment. The kind of judgment you don't want to unleash upon your clients, for example, your business partners, your customers, for someone to do something like that, especially even if you're just crass, a very crass person just looking at the bottom line, how stupid is it that within days after the most, one of the most repulsive, evil, repugnant things to occur in recent memory, you come out and at least align yourself with the movement that was involved in that. That, from a simple, crass commercial perspective, is dumb on steroids. I don't want somebody who has such poor judgment anywhere near me, anywhere dealing with any of my clients. That's just me. I'm just speaking for myself. But I think I speak for a lot of people who wonder, how long do we coddle these people and to what extent? This is so clear-cut. There is no ambiguity here. And for you to come out and just align yourself in that fashion tells me you're too stupid to be working for me. You have poor moral judgment. And you have, frankly, I've got to suspect, I have to suspect your morals at this point. I don't know what you're going to do. That may be unfair, but you know what? You had your opportunity, and you better come out very quickly and correct it and say, you know, I got caught up in the moment, but I'm still going to be very suspicious because your first instinct was to align with evil. Yeah, and, and, and again, I I kind of take Megan's side in this as well for many of the reasons you just articulated far better than I could. But I do understand the part that Candace is 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 you know is trying to equate here or to to, uh, to clarify here as well. She's she's right because there are and I know some of them. There are kids who are raised with good values, you know, good normal, uh, you know, experiences growing up, uh, parents who care about them, you know, they, they believe in the family, they believe in their faith, and they believe in the goodness of America, they believe in capitalism, they believe in, you know, what most, what most Americans kid, American kids grow up believing. But then they get onto that campus, which we think we're sending them mm-hmm. there for their betterment, for their improvement, to help them and, and to achieve great things in the world. This higher education, you know, perspective that we've always had is, is, is still very prevalent. And so we send our kids there to do great things. And when they get there, all of the things we've taught them is untaught. And all of the things that they want to indoctrinate these kids with is put in their heads. And they're forced, as I said in my intro to this topic, Peter, you know, to regurgitate back to them in the forms of papers and essays and, and so forth. And to the point where if they don't march in the pro-Palestinian parade outside, they are going to be viewed as being, uh, you know, they're going to be ostracized and they're going to be viewed as being somebody who is not down with the, you know, the critical theory. You know, you're an oppressor, not, you're not, not somebody who's on, uh, looking out for the oppressed. The Palestinians are the ones in the quote, open air prison. They're the ones who have had their land occupied and colonized by the Israelis, the Jews. And it just creates a thing where they don't want to stand out from the crowd, so they join the mm-hmm. crowd, and then it becomes part of them. Should they have their futures, this is what Candace is saying, should they have their futures impacted by something they didn't set out to do? It was forced upon them. It was a, it was a brainwashing, if you will, that they didn't consent to. Um, you know, I get all that. I do. Um, but, you know, these kinds of things 
these slaughters were not forced upon the babies who were killed in Israel either. Right. You know, right. um, this is a time for moral clarity. It's a time for choosing, as has once been said by a great man. It is a time for choosing and a time for moral clarity. Um, as somebody else once said, it makes it easier to spot the idiots, but it also makes it easier to spot the moral cretins. I think at the age of 18, 19, 20, and 21, you are old enough, maybe not to make certain judgments that are kind of fuzzy, all right? There are certain things that don't present the type of moral dichotomy that something like this does, but it doesn't get any clearer than this, not at all. And I would hope that my kids and my grandkids, I've raised them the right way that they would able, be able to see without any kind of question in their minds whatsoever what is right and wrong here. And they sh- I get that they're under a lot of pressure. You know, that uh, the zeitgeist is you're, you're, on the fa- you're on the side of the Palestinians and all that other stuff. You know, that's what the atmosphere is like in the universities. I can tell you this. I don't want to toot my own horn, but years and years ago, I was in the same position at Cornell. And I could talk about this for a long time. I'm not saying I'm a great person or anything like that, but I, I decided, nope, I'm not going to do it. I'm standing alone. I'm not going to go into any details, maybe some other time, but I'm not going to do it. And there were a couple of others who did, but the vast majority of people went along with what I consider to be the wrong issue. And I think time has proven that it was the wrong issue. But again, moral clarity, and we unfortunately don't teach that. In fact, we teach the opposite. We teach moral ambiguity and confusion, K through 12, and especially in colleges. And, we, and we've seen the consequences of that. This moral rot needs to be purged from our educational establishments and, frankly, many of our other, other institutions. And it's times like this that make things very clear. So when you had a few billionaires come out and say, nope, my checkbook is closed, that got everybody's attention right away because it's very easy to virtue signal when you've got nothing on the line. And a lot of these students have been through it their entire lives never having to put anything on the line. Well, a lot of folks in Israel on a daily basis have got to put things on the line. A lot of our special forces guys have got to put things on the line. A lot of people have got to do it, and they're no older than the kids, the kids, the young men and women in our universities, and they better start putting on their big boy pants and understand right from wrong. That is uh, very well articulated. By the way, you won't say you're a good guy. I'll say you're a pretty good guy, Pete. And and you're also a pretty unique guy, too, because it is hard to stand alone. It is hard to stand against the mob. It is hard not to go along. This is where the sheep mentality comes in. Obviously, people are just herded right along, and they don't want to stand apart. It's hard to do that. You're obviously somebody who could and did, and that's, uh, and that's a great thing that should be saluted. So, hey, Bob, um, black Republicans don't get invited to any parties, you know? So <laughs> I've got a long, long yep. history of this. You I know, know you do. I know you do. Pete, last thing, I'm going to get away from this for a moment and talk about uh, what should be happening in about an hour or two or three, maybe. There should be the first vote today in the House uh, for Speaker. Uh, as, we, as we know, Jim Jordan has kind of emerged as the last man standing for the moment. But if I have the numbers right, 
He's still seven or eight votes short of getting to 217. There are some hardliners who oppose him for his conservative standpoints and viewpoints, uh, but also just be, they oppose the process and what just happened. They're still angry and furious that Kevin McCarthy was ousted uh, by one guy. And then eventually, you know, because Matt Gates used his one vote is all it took to, or one member to uh, vacate the speakership. And, uh, and then, of course, seven others joined him. Four percent of the Republicans. Republican caucus essentially dictated to 96% of the Republican conference uh, what should happen with the speakership. So some of them are still livid over that and refuse to support Jordan on principle. So what is your what is your feel about uh, yeah. how this thing gets I done? Do we have a new speaker by the end of the day, and is it Jim Jordan? I don't. Yeah, I don't know by the end of the day. I do think that Jim Jordan will be the next speaker. I do think that's the momentum, and I do think it's because, um, you know, situations like this make it easier to spot the idiots. And in my estimation, Matt Gates is a, you know, self-centered, uh, virtue, not virtue signaling, I don't know what kind of signals he sends out, idiot. He has done incalculable, not incalculable damage, but he's damage to the Republican brand, especially at a time when there should be unity, not just among Republicans, but among Americans generally and among peace-loving people uh, entirely throughout the world. The fact of the matter is nothing's getting done because Matt Gates has got an issue or had an issue with Kevin McCarthy. I can't discern any reason other than it being somehow personal, and I think a lot of information has come out about that. But nonetheless, I do think that the, in these cases, they're hardliners, but they're actually kind of squishes in real life and moderates in the main, are going to come out in favor of Jim Jordan. Now, I prefer that Jim Jordan, frankly, not be Speaker, because tactically, I think Jim Jordan is much more effective for all of America where he is right now in Senate Judiciary and not be distracted. But nonetheless, I think he's, he'd make a fine speaker, and um, nobody else that I know of is in the mix. And I didn't, you know, I was not necessarily a, a huge fan of Kevin McCarthy. He did appoint me to my last um, uh, stint on the commission, but, you know, I, I just, you know, you know me, I'm probably slightly to the right of Attila the Hun. So I have a greater affinity for someone like a Jim Jordan. Nonetheless, Jim Jordan is a bulldog. Jim Jordan is smart. Jim Jordan has a lot of experience. I think he's going to do what's right, not just for the Republican Party. That's fine. I don't really care about the Republican Party, Democratic Party, or, you know, a party at uh, the American ice rink over here. I don't care about all that stuff. All I care about is what's best for America. And I tend to think, even though I don't know him, really, um, you know, I've just spoken to him a few times, I don't know Jim Jordan, but I tend to think on all of publicly available information that he'd make a fine speaker who puts the interests of America first. And you know him better than almost anybody else, and it's just great that here in Cleveland we've got an entree to the Speaker of the House through you. Well, uh, that's very nice of you to say, and I try, I'm try. i very proud to, to be able to bring Jim on every week and have been, and if he becomes a speaker and continues to keep these uh, week-long appointments, or excuse me, weekly appointments with me, I'll be very, very happy and very proud of that. Um, I, I feel bad. Somebody asked me yesterday why Jim Jordan would want this, given the thankless position that it is, and watching what happened to McCarthy, and would he take this under the same circumstances with one person being able to make a motion to vacate and all the other things? And I answered it this way, and tell me if you agree from what you know of Jim Jordan. I said, I don't think he wants this. He's not a guy who yearns yeah. for power. In fact... In January, as you know, he was nominated and said, don't do it. And people voted for him anyway because he is very well respected and he, it is believed he could be a great leader. But he did not want that power. He wanted to serve. And he wanted to serve as chairman of committees that were very important in terms of investigations, which is a different role than legislators and bill writers. Uh, and so 
you know, he didn't want this, but he felt like, look, our our conference, the Republican conference, is in disarray. Our House is thus in disarray, and yeah. somebody needs to take control. And if and if I can do that to serve the country, to serve the Congress, to serve the people's representation, then I will. I really feel like he doesn't want this. He's just accepting this because it's kind of being brought to him. That's my sense. And throughout history. It's been shown that perhaps the best leaders are those who didn't want the power. They, they don't care about the power. They don't care about the prestige or the visibility. They care about the service. And they take these positions reluctantly. Not everybody, but many of our best leaders have been, they've had this thrust upon this, and they've acceded to, to utilizing that power and wielding that power. And my sense is Jim Jordan is kind of like that. We'll, we'll, tend to, we'll see. But thus far, I, I, everything I've seen from him suggests he's that type of person. I'm not equating him with George Washington, but remember, George Washington didn't want to have anything to do with being, you know, he was clearly the great man uh, in America at that particular moment in time, but he didn't want to be the guy to do it, but he did it because he thought it was the best thing to do, and everybody else acknowledged that he was the one to do this. He, You know, America would not have existed but for him. Now, again, not equating Jim Jordan with, yeah. <laughs> with George Washington, but, but my point is that the folks who are doing this not for self-aggrandizement, for self-esteem. Uh, they're doing it because they see that there's a job to do, and they're going to discharge it. And I think Jim Jordan is like that. I'm hopeful. I'm praying that he's going to continue to be like that. I hope he succeeds as Speaker of the House. We are in tough, tough times right now, and we've got too many frivolous, silly people in positions of power. Couldn't have said it any better if I'd have written it. Peter Kersenow, terrific uh, analysis as always, my friend. Thank you so much. We'll talk to you soon. Thanks a lot, Bob. 1056. We are guest free in hour three. That means finally you can be heard on all of these issues and all of these matters we have discussed today. 216 We'll open up the phone lines next on AM 1420, The Answer. This hour of Always Right Radio is brought to you by The Floor King and KeepingMedicareSimple.com. You and I know and do not believe that life is so dear and peace so sweet as to be purchased at the price of chains and slavery. If nothing in life is worth dying for, when did this begin? Just in the face of this enemy? Or should Moses have told the children of Israel to live in slavery under the pharaohs? Should Christ have refused the cross? Should the patriots at Concord Bridge have thrown down their guns and refused to fire the shot heard round the world? The martyrs of history were not fools. And our honored dead, who gave their lives to stop the advance of the Nazis, didn't die in vain. Where then is the road to peace? Well, it's a simple answer after all. You and I have the courage to say to our enemies, there is a price we will not pay. There is a point beyond which they must not advance. is Always Right Radio with Bob France on AM 1420, The Answer. All right, eight minutes after 11 o'clock and hour three has commenced. It is the 17th morning of the 10th month in the year of our Lord, 2023. I, I, I'm going to go right to your calls. I know a lot of people want to talk about the um, speaker situation and whether or not uh, Jim Jordan is able to close the deal today. And I welcome those calls, but I want to just hit this real quick. The dangerous statement issued by the most inept State Department, maybe in American history, I'd have to go back a little, I suppose, but in memory anyway, 
last night. Um, it, it's, it, it just boggles the mind. If you thought that the Justice Department under Merrick Garland was horrific, and it is, the State Department under Tony Blinken, in other words, the entirety of the Biden regime is just so mind-numbingly stupid um, and incomprehensible it's really hard. It's hard to put into words. I'm I'm struggling here a little bit to describe this. So the concern has shifted from the victims of the worst terror attack on Jews since World War II, since the Holocaust. Concern for them has become concern for the people in Gaza. Because Israel, which was attacked and and kidnapped and murdered and tortured and raped, is fighting back against Hamas. They're worried about the people who are all around Hamas in Gaza. So Blinken makes a statement last night saying, we have to get humanitarian aid into the people of Gaza immediately. Despite the fact that anything we send is going to be taken by Hamas. And if Hamas takes the humanitarian aid that we are sending to the residents and the civilians there, we'll get mad and we'll condemn it. The stupidity of these people. Listen. Today, and at our request, the United States and Israel have agreed to develop a plan that will enable humanitarian aid from donor nations and multilateral organizations to reach civilians in Gaza and them alone, including the possibility of creating areas to help keep civilians out of harm's way. It is critical that aid begin flowing into Gaza as soon as possible. We share Israel's concern that Hamas may seize or destroy aid entering Gaza or otherwise preventing it from reaching the people who need it. If Hamas in any way blocks humanitarian assistance from reaching civilians, including by seizing the aid itself, we'll be the first to condemn it and we will work to prevent it from happening again. You have bloodthirsty, savage animals who just beheaded babies and committed these atrocities from Gaza into Israel, now hiding back in Gaza, and the U.S. response to that is, let's send them aid. And they're acknowledging and admitting it. Well, uh, no, the aid is only for the civilians. It's for them alone, you know. But if they take it, we'll condemn it. Of course they're going to take it. Hamas controls Gaza. The bloodthirsty, savage animals control Gaza. Of course, anything that you give to Gaza is going to end up in Hamas' hands. They have already deprived their own people of drinking water by taking infrastructure, such as water pipes, and repurposing them to build missiles and rockets. It's on video. They're not, they, you don't think they might take the, uh, or you think that they might take the aid that is sent for the civilians there? It's a guarantee. It's what they do. It's what savages do. And we're going to arm those savages with more aid. Governor Ron DeSantis, who, by the way, is not getting enough credit for the extraordinary extraction of 270 American citizens from Israel, 
when the Biden administration, by the way, was only willing to provide flights from Israel to a location in Europe, I think Athens was the primary one, telling them, by the way, you'll get a bill for this flight, and then telling them, you're on your own from there. You need housing and lodging while you're here. That's on you. And you need to arrange your own transportation back to the United States. That has been the Biden administration's uh, plan on rescuing and evacuating Americans who want to leave Israel. Governor Ron DeSantis took that uh, to a little bit of a different level. Governor Ron DeSantis knew that a veteran group working in Florida, a veterans group called Project Dynamo, was working to extract Americans at their own expense or at the expense of donations that they receive. Governor Ron DeSantis immediately issued an executive order in Florida taking Florida emergency dollars to pay for those flights so that they could get as many Americans out of there as possible. The leadership of... um, Project Dynamo said this is literally the first government entity or agency or anyone else that has done anything to help them save Americans. They were greatly appreciative of uh, Governor Ron DeSantis doing this, and DeSantis and his wife, by the way, met them at the Tampa airport on Saturday night, or excuse me, Sunday night when they were there, which is something they had never, ever expected. And the reality is, is there's hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of Americans that are screaming for help, either either because they, their families are reaching out because they're hostages or because they're stuck in the Palestinian territory and trapped between the army and Hamas, or they're just in Israel and there's no flights and they literally literally can't get out um, and, uh, and they're afraid of the coming ground invasion and the war that's going to come. How, how difficult has it been for you to get people out? Uh, it's been very difficult. Uh, it it, it kind of ebbs and flows. It's been very difficult with respect to fundraising, uh, uh, we, you know, we're an entirely donor-funded nonprofit organization. ProjectDynamo.org is our website. All we do is rescue Americans from all over the place. This is our fourth war zone deployment: Afghanistan, Ukraine, Ukraine, Sudan. Now here, so this war is diff- different than the other ones because Israel is a uh, is an ally, and they're organized, uh, uh, and we're and they're fighting terrorists, which is a little bit different than what we've seen. Uh, which is a little bit different than what we've seen in the other deployments that, that Dynamo has done. I mean, it's amazing to me that we're hearing that now the government is starting uh, charter flights. I mean, we're a week into this already, uh, and uh, people so, are so scared. Yeah, go ahead, Brian. So it's, it's a, it's a co- complicated situation. Many of the Americans that are here in Israel are observant Jews, and they started flights on the Sabbath, which isn't, um, helpful, right? It creates a moral dilemma. And on top of that, the State Department has said that they're going to charge people. And on top of that, they're bringing them to Greece or to Cyprus or to wherever. And then from there forward, they're on their own, no lodging, no onward flight, no anything. And these families right. who are American citizens are forced to pay and then figure it out. There's like 20 other countries that have sent airplanes into Israel all this week. Uh, Brazil, Canada, all these countries uh, Mexico yeah. sent an airplane. Uh, That's Brian Stern, the uh, CEO of Project Dynamo. And then uh, in the aftermath of this, he declared that the 
assistance provided by the state of Florida through Governor DeSantis, who has access to a $500 million emergency preparedness and response fund. He tapped into that fund and paid nearly two, I think it's over $2 million per flight to go into Israel and bring these, uh, bring these Americans home. Uh, Stern said Governor DeSantis wanted to do something. Uh, he needed assistance. He needed to know he had partners, which is what Project Dynamo was. When he issued that executive order, it allowed us to uh, to pick these people up. And DeSantis directing the Florida Division of Emergency Management to charter flights uh, from Israel to Florida was solely an executive decision. He said, we did not expect the support nor for them to meet us. He said, normally when we arrive after we go rescue American citizens, there's no one around ever. Uh, but this is what leadership looks like. He's exactly right. It is exactly what Governor DeSantis deserves credit for, as well as the point I was making, his stance on uh, sending aid to Gaza. Quote yesterday, tweeting yesterday, in his, no, this is this morning, beg pardon, 944 this morning from Governor DeSantis. Innocent Americans and Israelis are being held hostage by Hamas terrorists. Yet Biden is more focused on sending humanitarian aid to Gaza that will be commandeered by Hamas terrorists. Biden should work with Israel to free all American and Israeli hostages, not shower Hamas with money. And that is exactly correct. So I'm glad that there are leaders out there doing something about this rather than just talking about it. Okay, uh, Todd is in Ward 1. Todd, you're on AM 1420, The Answer. Go ahead. Yo, Bob. So I'm sitting here looking at the job description of the Speaker of the House for Congress, mm-hmm. and I don't see anything here where it says they have to pick somebody from their party. And That's correct. I, and they don't have to even pick a, an elected official for this job. This is, this is problematic to me that this comes back all the time to picking somebody from their party, either either from the um, for the Speaker of the House or, for that matter, um, multiple other jobs that are um, – picked in, in Washington, D.C. They should be looking to pick the best available person to administer these administrative duties. That's you can't, what they be, you can't be serious about this. You I can't. am totally... I'm saying what well, should how be How and why? Well, how, how, how and why should that be the case? There is a fundamental... Um, not fun, not even fundamental. It's much deeper than that. I mean, it is almost existential, the existence of the Republican ideology and vision, the conservative ideology and vision for the country is polar opposite of those on the Democrat side. Why on earth would you look for somebody who's a really good administrator from the other side to completely um, uh, uh, govern or to lead in a way that is contradictory to everything that you stand for? I mean, mm-hmm. that's never going to happen. It would never it happen on the other be. side either. It doesn't have to be a Democrat. It doesn't have to be a liberal. It doesn't have a, It doesn't have to be somebody that has conservative beliefs. It has to be somebody that is going to meet all the detailed out responsibilities for the job description of this job. No. Job description. I'm sorry, I disagree. I disagree. Well, it has to I be somebody that. that is going to get something done that is going to be for the betterment of the country. And if you that are conservative, correct. you do not believe that there is anything that the radical progressive left wants to do that is for the betterment of the country. They ran this country the way they did with an iron fist when Pelosi was was in charge of this whole thing, and we are all paying a heavy price for it now. The answer to that isn't well, get somebody who's just an administrator who's going to just no. be able to. Well, that's kind of what you said. No, that's not. I'm not saying just an administrator. I'm saying that the person that get picked is picked for the job does not need to be somebody from a political party 
or a member of Congress. Now, if they want somebody who's conservative, I, I understand that. I yes. have conservative beliefs myself. Okay, some. Some. Well, there are very but few. There better. are very few. There are very few conservatives, though, that aren't members of the Republican Party. So that's well, why it's going to be somebody I'll, who comes from the party. And I think it's uh, it's you know, look, the, this and thank you for the call, Todd. This well, chaos should not exist. Thing. No, I, I got to go here. I got to some other people. The chaos shouldn't exist. The Republicans brought it on themselves. Matt Gates brought it on. Nancy Mace and some of the other uh, uh, idiots, these halfwits, who made this whole calamitous situation happen, should never be forgiven. And I think they ought to be uh, primary out of Congress. The hell with a lot of them, honestly. But having said that, we're here now. We have a chance to improve the situation by getting Jim Jordan in. That's what we have to be doing and should be doing, and we should not be looking elsewhere for somebody outside of Congress or outside of the Republican Party to do you know, whatever administrative type of details you think goes with being the Speaker of the House. I'm sorry. I just disagree with that one. I normally agree with Todd on almost everything we talk about, but not today. Joe in Lakewood. Hi, Joe. Go ahead. Hey, Bob. Uh, just want uh, regarding our, your last uh, guest uh, mm-hmm. prior to the hour, um, Kirshenau, on yes. moral principles. I have a um, short quote I uh, wanted to share. Three lines. Okay. Uh, moral principles do not depend on a majority vote. Wrong is wrong, even if everybody's wrong. Right is right, even if everybody is. Even if nobody's right. I'm sorry. So it's a little catchy, but. Basically, it, it explains the world, and uh, so I just want to sh- you know share that because he was talking about moral principles, you know, and it kind of uh, reminded me of this uh, little quote about you know moral principles, and so I wanted to share that with you. Okay, well, and Joe, also I, love, oh, go ahead. Go you ahead. got more? You got more? Go ahead. Go ahead. No, no, I just wanted to thank you. Love your show and your solid stance you take on your show, and uh, go ahead. Well, that, well, thank you for that, then. I appreciate that, and I appreciate the phone call as well. Uh, yeah, I mean, moral principle is something that is severely lacking in politics. It's even more lacking when it comes to um, international affairs and battles. Um, you know, it, it's, a, it's a bizarre, and, th- and Peter was right, and you're right, and I love the quote, by the way. There are many quotes about right and wrong that I could follow up with here, but I'd have to look them up and I, that I agree with, and every time I see them, I, I agree. Right is right, even if no one is believing it, and, and wrong is wrong, even if there are a million people swearing it's right. Wrong is wrong, and, uh, and Pete is right about the moral leadership. Uh, it's a great quote that you made, and I do concur, and I appreciate it very much. Thank you. Let's go to uh, Charlie next. Hi, Charlie. Go ahead. Hey, Bob. Thanks for taking the call again. Sure. Uh, a real quick shout out to Senator J.D. Vance and uh, son uh, rather uh, Representative Max Miller. They assisted uh, through Ohio voters. They assisted uh, my doctor in getting his mother out of Israel. They had a charter plane and everything. So I just want to shout out to them for really helping us Amen. out, especially yeah. on Saturday. They said they never take calls. My doctor's an Orthodox Jew, immigrated from. Russia, his mother's in Israel, and he, they got her out. So I'm very happy about that. I'm very that. happy to hear that, too. And then they helped. So uh, the other thing, a couple of things. Uh, I don't know. If, if Jim Jordan doesn't get the speakership, it's going to be a disarray. And I'm thinking maybe they can come up with only Republicans in a roundabout, like a two-month two month at a time, serve as the speaker, and then another person comes in two months at a time. That way, you know, everybody gets to share in that. And, you know, I'm not, not sure if it's constitutional, but, you know, that way maybe uh, you can appease some of these outstanding people who will not 
uh, vote for Jim Jordan. No, I, or, I, or I, I don't vote for I, anyone. I like outside of the box thinking, Charlie. I don't like that particular thought or idea. Um, we need a leader who is going to be there. Listen, the Speaker of the House does more than just appoint. And thank you for the call. You know, the, the Speaker of the House does more than just appoint people to committees uh, and appoint committee chairs. Uh, the Speaker of the House is also the lead fundraiser for other. Uh, house races for candidates in order to keep the majority. It's one of the most important jobs of the speaker is to keep that majority. And, and that's why a lot of people have talked about Kevin McCarthy for his flaws. And there were f- plenty of them was a tireless campaigner traveling the country and going from district to district and place to place fundraising to help, uh, you know, stock the, uh, you know, uh, the, the, uh, the war chest, if you will, for upcoming elections. It's important to keep the majority and it's important to keep continuity if you want to c- accomplish anything. Changing the speakers every couple of months or every six months or whatever would not keep that continuity it would be uh, in fact just the opposite people would just be holding out and doing nothing until in two months we can change the speaker and then we'll do this and then somebody on the other side who doesn't like that says well we won't do anything we'll just stall everything for two months until this no you have to have a con- you have to have continuity and you have to have a speaker who's strong and can guide not just that particular congress as the speaker but somebody who can actually guide future congresses by making sure that they help uh, uh help help support the majority uh thank you charlie ron is in not, is this right? Knoxville, Tennessee? I just came home from Knoxville, Tennessee the day before yesterday. Uh, Ron, good morning. Go right ahead. Hey, good morning, Bob. Thanks for taking my call. Yeah, I'm a transplant down here. Okay. Well, well, I appreciate So is my daughter, by the way. So is my daughter. She's yeah, a transplant down there, too. Okay. Well, God bless you. Thank you for calling. Go ahead. Yeah, I'm just, I'm not a caller much, but, you know, I'm just curious. Imagine that was one of your kids was in uh, captive. We're not even really talking about this. What are we doing? Peace through strength. Show strength for crying out loud. This guy's on there saying, oh, we're the United States of America for crying out loud. Yeah, but you're not doing anything. We moved an aircraft carrier over there. Okay, great. I mean, if we don't, you know, think about World War II. We bombed Dresden. and every. Well, yeah, well, if their citizens are promoting this kind of behavior, they're going to pay too. And we have to do something about it. I'm not hearing anything until just now you talked about that Brian guy, and then, of course, the Stannis sending some people. There's American citizens that are held hostage right now. That's somebody's daughters and sons. They must be beside themselves. No one's even talking about it. And how many are dead? Dead Americans. We're doing nothing. Nothing. I don't know, Bob. Would you? Hey, Ron. Ron, no, listen. I I feel the same way. I am am furious as well. so let me just ask you this. We're just spitballing here, but uh, we're counting on we're counting on some of the Israeli actions to force them to free the hostages. If that doesn't work, are you suggesting should we send in covert special ops troops? Uh, you know, send them to Israel, send them into Gaza to find and free those hostages through uh, through through that kind of strength. Is that what you're thinking, Bob? I think if Trump was in office or Reagan, we'd already be doing that. We'd already have people in there looking for these guys, ready to fight back. I mean, we're doing nothing, as far as I know. Now, it's just that I have no faith in Biden whatsoever, so I kind of think that we're doing nothing. I agree. But... I, mean, I agree with you. We, listen, listen. What well, well the one thing, the one thing that Hamas or uh, that Israel said, you know, because this is what they've been condemned for, is shutting off the power 
and the water supplies to to Gaza, and they're doing yeah. that until the hostages are released. And guess what? Blinken just this underscores your distrust in Biden and mine as well. They're saying we've no. got to send, we have to send supplies to the people in Gaza who are having their things shut off. So they're literally acting in contravention to the efforts to free the hostages right. that Israel is, you know, that, you know that they're undertaking. So these you know, people don't understand anything but power. We right. have to put force on them. I completely and God concur. bless all those people. I, Thank you, my Ron. God bless you. There. God bless you too. Thank you for the call. I appreciate it very much. It's eleven twenty nine. We'll take a sh- life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Always right radio with Bob France on the answer. All right, it's eleven thirty five. We're supposed to have a speaker of the House of Representatives. The leader of the House is also third in line to the presidency. It's uh, kind of important that this not be vacant. But because of the unforgivable action by Matt Gates and uh, some of his co-conspirators, we're sitting here without a speaker. Now Jim Jordan is trying to pick up the pieces for the party and for the country. There are, he can only afford to have four Republicans say no in order for him to get the required 217 to win the speakership or have a handful of democrats no vote show either don't show or vote present but if every democrat votes for hakeem jeffries which they will he can only have four members uh say no uh to jim jordan and right now by my count there are eight holdouts some of them because they don't like Jordan and his conservatism. Some of them because they're just mad about what happened to, to uh, McCarthy. Don Bacon, Nebraska, Mike Lawler, New York, Mike Kelly, Pennsylvania, Carlos Jimenez, Florida, Mar- Mario Diaz-Balart, uh, Florida, uh, Victoria Sparts, in- Sparts, Indiana, Ken Buck, Colorado, and John Rutherford, Florida are all holdouts. It's eight. Four of them are going to have to flip today for us to have Speaker of the House, Jim Jordan, by the time the day comes to an end. And again, it doesn't have to get done today. It just needs to. Because again, all of this hurts the party. All of this hurts the conservative Republican movement. With with control of the government on the line, 24 Senate seats are going to be up in 2024. And enough seats because of the narrow majority in the House are going to be up that control of the party is at stake, or control of the House, I should say, is at stake, control of the government. And the Democrats look united and ready to go, and we look like the Benny Hill show at the end of the show with yakety sacks playing and everybody running around at top speed chasing one another. We look like idiots. Thank you, Matt Gates. We need to get this done, and it needs to get done today so we can get back to unity and get back to leading instead of chasing the progressives. It's unbelievable how stupid. Stupid we all look right now. And this is going to impact independent voters who are not already in the Republican camp and are not in the Democrat camp but are trying to decide. They look at the Democrats, they see stability and leadership, they look at us, and they see a clown show. All because of the ego of Matt Gates and seven others who joined him. It's unbelievable. Uh, okay, Sally is in uh, Berea. Hi, Sally. Go right ahead. Hi, Bob. I agree. I am furious with the House. Of course, we're hoping for Jim Jordan. He would be excellent. 
they should not leave the halls of Congress until they have the speakership, if they have to stay overnight, whatever. But they're looking like a bunch of kindergartners having a tantrum. There's budget concerns. And most important, the world is blowing up around us, and we're sitting, um, you know, arguing. It's, there's no excuse for that. We, as you mentioned, we stand to lose control of the uh, slim majority we have. We need to come up with something, as you said today. And thanks for listening to my rant, at least until I'm done for today, at least until tomorrow. But they got to do their job. You rant all you want. They do. Thank you, Sally. You rant all you want. We have a reason to rant. We have a reason to be angry. We have a reason to be upset. And I'm going to tell you something. If Jim Jordan wins this gavel and becomes the speaker and continues to come on my program every week the way he has as a uh, congressman and as a committee chair and all the other things that he has had and the things he has done, I'll be a very blessed man to have access to the Speaker of the House on a weekly basis. It still won't justify what is going on right now. Understand that? Jim Jordan didn't want this to happen. He voted to keep McCarthy in place. He is only doing what he feels like he has to do to try to end this nonsense and get back to leadership. And for that, I salute him. I salute him for trying to make the best out of an entirely unnecessarily chaotic, calamitous, ridiculous situation. I salute him for that. And I will be very grateful if he is the speaker, and I'll be grateful if he continues to come on this show. But I still wish it didn't happen like this. This is wrong. This is going to hurt us going forward, not help us. BJ, go right ahead in North Olmstead. My concern is if the House doesn't settle down, they're not going to be paying attention to the war we're going to be having with Iran in the Middle East. We are at war, and if the Islamic world comes goes to war with us, we have to be very aware of what's going to happen in our own country. There are many of them here, and they're going to ally with their own homeland. We are in a very precarious and very dangerous time, and our House of Representatives and the Senate better get off their butts and get serious about the reality that we are at war and Israel is going to be destroyed if they are not going to be protected by the American ships that are over there. We are in a very precarious, serious time on this little planet, and my fear is for you younger people. I hope that there is an awakening very, very soon. We have to wake up to the reality that we're in a, in a world of war right now and very dangerous activities. God willing, there will be an awakening soon. Thank you for your time, yeah, and God emphasis. bless America, and God bless you American people. Thank you, BJ. Emphasis on the word soon, by the way. Every day that goes by that we have this mess, the more it costs us. In terms of credibility with voters, it's a reality of it. Jerry is in uh, Brexville. Hi, Jerry. Go right ahead, sir. Hi, Bob. Hi, Jerry. Bob, I think uh, we don't realize we're in three wars right now. Ukraine fell in the border. And I think our border is a more important war for us right now because we're getting all kinds of cultures in this country. And you can see that by these protests where they fly uh, Colombian flags, they fly Palestinian flags, and I think we should be putting more money in the border than Ukraine, and I think we have to protect that border first. 
because we are getting people in here that really don't care about this country. And I love your guy, Peter Kirstenau. I'd love to see a guy like him in uh, in an office so he could really do some good. Well, I'll tell you what, he has so, been asked before. Yeah, Jerry, he has been asked before. Um, it is something he has entertained or thought about, but always comes down to uh, he does a, he serves a very important role, obviously, as an attorney and a, and a member of that uh, Civil Rights Commission, and it's uh, something he has not wanted to upend his life over to run for office. But I, I would love him. I would love him in an advisory thing, position. Uh, go ahead, Jerry. If one of the Nisalinsky from Ukraining, I think he's the biggest con man that I can think of. I think that guy is getting more money from us than than, than we should be giving him. That well, that should be eliminated. Well, I agree with you on the elimination of that money, and uh, I don't know that I can. Tr- and thank you for the call, Jerry. I don't know that I. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.